Welcome to The Story Walk, a podcast by storytellers for storytellers. And we hope that means you, whether you identify as a storyteller with a capital S, or if you just like to tell stories in your work, say as a teacher, librarian, counsellor or community leader. And not forgetting, if you're a parent or grandparent looking to share stories and values with your family. And since the Story Walk is organised by FEAST, that's the Federation of Asian Storytellers, our focus is on sharing Asian stories and celebrating the tellers from the Philippines in the East to Turkey in the West and the countless storytelling communities that lie in between. Welcome to the fourth edition of Story Walk. I'm Roger Jenkins. And helping me in the hosting hot seat today is Krupa Vinagamorti. Hey there, everyone. And together we've decided to build this session around Feast's second collection of Asian folk tales, the wittily entitled Royals Wise and Otherwise. We have three very contrasting tales about a princess, a queen, and a king who I'm sad to say definitely epitomizes the otherwise. One of the stories comes from the Philippines, which we've taken as our country of focus for this edition, and we're delighted to have Richard Villar and Simon Sales who will be joining us and sharing about storytelling as it's practiced in the Philippines. Your podcast team will consider what makes telling a story different from reading aloud and we'll share tips on how you can confidently and creatively move from the text in the book to telling a story in your very own words. And finally, we've got Kieran Shah into the Story Clinic, where she'll be dispensing her thoughts on how to find your own voice and style, and how to warm up and look after your voice once you've found it. Our first story is by Lynn Kirk. Lynn has been telling stories for over 25 years in Asia and the UK. She now lives in Hong Kong. She has a magical story apron to suit early years and lower primary age kids. I have seen Lynn perform here at Singapore at the art ground and it was such a treat to watch and the kids simply enjoyed all these tiny little puppets peeping out of her puppet apron. She also does simple drama, puppetry, crafts, and she can extend the stories she tells to cover all age groups. Lynn truly believes the power stories have and how they can change one's life. Lynn, with her snowy white hair and calm demeanor, weaves her Chinese tale. So settle in to listen to our very first segment, Miso. Hello, I'm Lynn Kirk and I contributed the Chinese story of the Heavenly Weaver in the book. What I like about the book is that it's a feast, nay indeed a banquet, of stories from different countries and cultures which nourish us, and after reading the whole book one truly feels well fed. This star story has lived with me for over 40 years and I still never tire of telling it, so here it is. 
the Heavenly Weaver. Once upon a time, when was it? When was it not? There lived in the heavens the Heavenly Weaver. Every day she sat at her loom and wove many beautiful things, too many to mention in this story. But it was a lonely life for her, as her father, the Jade Emperor, ruled over the Celestial Dome. And because it was such a wide and vast expanse, he was away for long periods of time. Her only companions were her magpies, which flew around her, and to keep herself amused, she would often look down upon the earth, to a part of the earth called China, for there she would look upon a young cowherd, a very handsome cowherd, a fine figure of a man, a good catch some would say. Her heart would flutter and miss a beat, and sometimes she would blush, though there was none to see her. Now the funny thing was that he was lonely too. Oh, it's not fair. Here I am, day after day, tending my cows with no one to talk to. All I do is bring the cows out and then in, out, in, out, in, day in and day out. Nobody comes by here. Now don't get me wrong, I love my cattle, they are my livelihood, but I'll never find a wife. I want company, someone to talk to, share my food, laugh with, have intellectual conversations. Oh, I'll end up being a lonely old man. Well, the heavenly weaver heard what he said, and for the first time in her life she stopped her weaving and decided to go down to the earth to be near him. She knew exactly where to go. It was a lake close to his home, where the village girls would come and bathe at the end of their working day. She put her claws near a bush. Not too close, mind, as she didn't want to seem too pushy. He would sometimes sit behind it to listen to the girls in the hope of village news. As it happened, he went to the bush that evening in the hopes he would hear some village gossip, then noticed the claws. Oh, what if I play a trick and take these claws? You never know, it could be my future wife. Soon all the girls had gone, and the only one left in the lake was indeed our heavenly weaver. When he came out of the bushes with her claws, and then started walking towards her, thump, thump, thump. It was as though his heart would burst out of his chest, as he had never seen such a beautiful maiden before. Oh my! Oh dear! Oh God! Oh! 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 He was tongue-tied, but when he finally found his voice, he said, I'm so sorry. I was only playing a trick. Here's your clothes. But before you go, would you be so kind as to walk around the lake with me? Well, inwardly she was delighted and said yes in a bashful way. He put her clothes down and went back to his cows while she dressed. They walked around the lake a first time, but they were still shy and coy with each other. They walked a second time, and it was as if they'd known each other all their lives. And when they finished a third walk, they were hopelessly and madly in love with each other and decided to marry. Oh, it was a lovely do. Such a lovely day, you know. I wish you'd have been there to see it. It wasn't a big wedding, mind, as they didn't know many people, but it was a grand day out, 
and everyone thought what a lovely pair they made. Oh, they were so happy. But the Jade Emperor returned and saw his daughter missing and the weaving had stopped. Nothing changed, nothing moved, time stood still. When he finally found her, he demanded she return to her weaving. Nobody argues with the Jade Emperor, so she went back heartbroken and distraught and she cried and cried and cried and you know I think that's why we have the monsoons in the summer she cried so much. The cowherd was distraught too. All he did was mourn and groan and kick his heels in the dust. One day he was leaning against his ox and he said out loud Oh if only I can see my wife see my loved one again if that's what you want, that's easy. The cowherd sat bolt upright because there was nobody around. And then he realised it was his ox that spoke. And if your ox talks to you, you listen. Hold on to my tail and I'll take you. Well, he didn't need to be told twice. So he held on to the tail tightly and the ox took him to the heavens. Hmm. Well, let me tell you, it was a lovely sight. It was as pretty as a picture. For as soon as he saw her and she saw him, well, they rushed into each other's arms and they hugged and kissed and kissed and hugged and they hugged each other so tightly, it was as though the two became one. But yes, you've guessed. The Jade Emperor was still around and he saw them and was not pleased. He was cross. Did I say cross? No, he was angry. He wasn't angry. He was furious. He wasn't furious. He was irate, so irate that he went straight to them and with one mighty stroke of his arm he hewed a huge river between them, he on one side and her on the other, so they could never be together again. She went back to her weaving, but she was never the same, and her father could see this. He relented a little, not a lot, but a little, and said, OK, I can see how much you love each other, so I will give you a gift. You may see him for one day in the year. Just the one day, mind. Oh, she was so happy for the one day, for one day is better than no days. So on the seventh day of the seventh lunar month, friends the magpies built a bridge over the river, each of them holding the tail feathers in their beaks of the ones in front, and she runs across to meet her loved one. And it is said that if it rains on the morning of that day, it is the tears of joy and happiness of their meeting. And if it rains on the evening, it is the tears of sadness of their parting. It is also said that she is the main star Vega in the constellation Lyra, and he is the main star Altar in the constellation of the Eagle. The river is the Milky Way and the Ox is Taurus. Some say, in other stories, she was the youngest of seven sisters, who all who had special gifts, and it was a grandmother, not a father. But whichever story you choose to believe, snip snap snout, my story's out. Well, I wish we had a bridge made of magpies to bring us all the way from China 
to the Philippines because that's where we're heading for our next story. But before we get into the story, I'm delighted that we can get to talk with Richard Villar, who actually contributed the story to Royals Wise and Otherwise. Now, Richard Villar graduated with a Master's in Anthropology from the Ateneo de Davao University in 2017, and he is the Indigenous Peoples, Culture, Heritage and Arts Officer in the city of Machuan. So, Richard, thank you so much for joining us. And my first question is to you, you know, when we think of the Philippines, I think a lot of people will immediately associate music and dance and song because that's what your countrymen and, of course, your countrywomen have done so spectacularly in creating this global presence. But how is storytelling important for Filipinos? Filipinos really love storytelling. Every time we meet, like you're being invited to dinner, you talk about anything under the sun. You just don't go there for the food. You, you go there for the stories that you can talk. You know, there's one um, idea about Filipinos that we're very chismoso. We love gossiping. Actually, we love stories. We love stories about your, your dog. We love stories about your mother, your girlfriend, about your boyfriend, about, about people, about ideas, anything under the sun. Because stories um, add color to, uh, to a meeting or to, um, to a gathering. So that's why storytelling is really very important. And I'm sure it's important to you in your work as well, Richard, um, when you are you know, trying to uh, find out about an, an indigenous uh, community. Could you share something about that? That is why if you do research, you just don't go there and ask them directly about, uh, about your question. You go there, you interact first with the people, and the best way to interact is through storytelling. You tell them stories, at the same time, you listen to the stories that they tell. You don't go there and monopolize telling stories. You go there and listen to the stories. And you don't, um, it, it's very, very tricky. You don't realize that they already have given you a lot of information through the stories that they tell. So you have to be very, very, you know, um, keen with the stories that they tell. I absolutely agree, Richard. I mean, there's so much knowledge hidden under the guise of a story. And I think it's essential that we kind of slow down and listen. I am very excited to announce through the podcast that you, along with another three tellers, will be having a Filipino fiesta one hour session at the Feast Fest this October. You chose four different languages from the Philippines. So why these languages? And why not Tagalog? Because we don't use Tagalog or the, Philipp the national, that's the national language. We base our national language with Tagalog. Um, we're not really using it in the regions. We are using another major language, the Visayan language. That's why I'm very, very comfortable telling my story in Visayan and actually in English. <laughs> and also my friends, because we are in Mindanao, we speak different languages. So one of my friends, who is also a storyteller, 
will talk, um, use Manobo language. That's another major language of the island. And also another storyteller, a uh, young man or young boy storyteller will use a Sanger language. And another storyteller will use the Ilungo, Ilungo language, which is also one of the major languages in the Philippines. And is there a kind of differences in the way that people will tell their stories in the different language? In Mindanao, we love um, dance, uh, music, chanting, and we love to integrate that in our storytelling. So you will expect in October during the festival that we will be using dance, music, chanting, and even singing in uh, the way we tell the, our stories. Wow, we can't wait. That sounds really exciting. Thanks very much, Richard. It's really uh, good to talk to you. But we've also got uh, with us here today, uh, Simone Salas. Yes, we do. Welcome, Simone. Today we have with us Simone Salas, who is our Young Storyteller member. She believes that everyone has a story to tell, and that we must be very cautious of the voices that we might be neglecting or even overpowering with our own. So deep, Simone, so deep. She also believes that there's a time to tell your story, a time to listen to other stories, and a time to actively shape the narratives. Simone, you've been awfully quiet, and we're young storytellers. Well, at least I'm not as young as you, but... As a young storyteller in the Philippines, how is the youth storytelling scene? Hi, thanks for having me. Storytelling in the Philippines is not as popular with the youth as it is in other Southeast Asian or Asian countries. From my visit to Jakarta and Malaysia, and even from my colorful interactions with storytelling festivals, productions, and groups online from Singapore, Indonesia, and India, Storytelling in these countries really is a pillar of the community. Here, storytelling is usually limited to state or so school-sanctioned cultural events or book fairs, and it acts mostly as a side dish to theater skits and reading aloud. But I definitely see hope for it developing in terms of um, medium. The closest thing to storytelling for the youth would be spoken word, which is more on the, the poetry side. And it is very popular. In terms of folk tales, um, there have been recent developments with Trece, a local noir supernatural detective comic series that was recently made into an anime by Netflix. And it's been quite a hit. Through you know comics like these and anime series like these and other new forms of medium, folk tales are really getting new life. And hopefully this will act as a kind of springboard for um, storytelling and more interest in, in folk tales and mythology, especially the local ones. Cool! Did I just hear anime? I never knew that they used folk tales. That kind of makes me feel really old all of a sudden. But it's really encouraging, Simone, to hear you say that the spoken word is gaining a lot more traction nowadays. There's also this uh, growing awareness now of dying tradition, so hopefully this will help um, storytelling and storytelling can, can finally have its day in the sun. Finally have its day in the sun, indeed. I mean, storytelling 
deserves all the sunshine and love that it can get right now. Like you said, this growing awareness, even for myself, I really connected to my roots after I left India and I moved to Singapore. You know, it's almost as this is realization dawned upon me to preserve our ancient culture and our stories. And even the awareness that there was something called professional storytelling, especially in, in Singapore, the government and the public are true patrons of the oral storytelling culture. So it's a lovely and lucky place to be in. That's something I really envy about the countries that I mentioned. They have festivals, they have competitions, they and, and, and everybody gets really excited about it. Here, it's still not yet quite there, but I'm really hoping that the cultural, you know, departments and programs here get inspired by these countries and we can have our own. Absolutely. I don't think the day is far away. Like Richard was sharing before, I do believe that Filipinos, especially the Filipino government, is taking steps towards preserving the local culture. So very soon, we should see a very colorful vibrant and youthful storytelling community in the Philippines. I do hope and pray with you. So Richard, uh, I'm delighted that you're going to share your story that is in the book, Royals Wise and Otherwise. And I wondered if you could just tell our listeners why this story is important to you, why you wanted to have it in the book. This story is important to me because a lot of people we always say that um, women in the past are not as strong or not as empowered as uh, the, ca- the main character of the story. Um, it's very, very seldom that a woman becomes a chieftain. And I want that, that, that story illustrates that women, even in the past, are not just, um, you know, second, second fiddle to men. Uh, they also play very important role in the community. And that's, that's why I chose that story. Wonderful. And I wish, I wish you could have seen Krupa when you said that, that women don't play second fiddle. She was kind of nodding her head up and down very vigorously there. So, without further ado, thanks very much, Richard. And let's get straight into your story. This is a story from the Bogobos, one of the 11 indigenous communities in Tavao City. This can also be read at Tavao Reconstructing History from text and memory written by Dr. Mac Chu. And I adapted it for my storytelling. Bia Layan, the woman chieftain. It was the burial of Datu Daya, the chieftain of Tudaya. Upon his death, nobody could replace him. Datu Malang, one of his warriors, refused because he did not have the ability of Datu Daya for words. What he had was only strength, bravery, and fighting skills. But Datu Malang was still relied upon by the community to defend Tudaya. A babalyan or a priestess foretold that a girl will be born and she will be called Layan because she will have a long life. Datuk Malang 
just kept silent. <laughs> One day while the community was working in the fields, they heard a baby's cry in one of the cottages. Indeed, a girl was born. When she was turning into a young woman, she had become an expert in dancing, weaving, and in all the women's arts. When the Feast of the Bamboo was celebrated, Datuk Malang went on the center of the stage and announced, You considered me to be your leader even though I know that I am not capable. Here is your true leader. Even if she is only young, she has the ability to become a good leader. My dear community, she is now the chieftain of Tudaya. She, Biya Layag, is now Dato Layag. Biya is a title for a woman that means princess. She had now become a Dato or a chieftain. The community rejoiced. One day Dato Layag together with the women of Tudaya were weaving inside the weaving house. All of a sudden, a Dato just entered the house. The women shouted in fear and Dato Layag asked, What are you doing here? You're not supposed to come inside while the women are weaving. It is strictly forbidden for men to come inside the weaving house. This is the rule of the Bagobos. The Baganis or the warriors together with Dato Malang came and caught the Dato. The Dato was made to pay a fine. It was really humiliating for a Dato to be penalized, so he left to Daya. He went to the community of the Magindanaons and convinced them to attack the village of the Bagobos in Tudaya. As he revealed to them that Tudaya could easily be attacked because the warrior Dato Malang is already old and wary and the new chieftain is just a woman and not as strong as the late Dato Daya. One night the shame Dato accompanied the Magindanaons, they were attacking Tudaya. The Magindanaons have powerful arms and they even have guns. The Bagobo Tagabawas fought them off. They used catapults with burning wood sap to hit the position of the Magindanaons. Even the young boys and girls defended Tudaya with sharpened palm wood as their spears. As the fighting was going on, Dato Layag resplendent in her ceremonial dress began to dance. The women of Tudaya, upon seeing their chieftain dancing, took off their blouses. They also danced around her. They danced to the beat of the tangungo. They were dancing a war dance. Dato Layag with the women of Tudaya exuded dazzling energy that made the Magindanaons weak. They were frightened, so they withdrew. The warriors of Tudaya wanted to pursue the Magindanaons, but Dato Layag stopped them and said, If they won't fight anymore, do not pursue them. From that time on, they regained peace in Tudaya. This was the story of Bia Layag, who was bestowed Dato Layag, the woman chieftain.
Thank you, Richard, for sharing that story. I must say, Richard, when I first read the story, and I didn't know the, the story before you shared it in uh, Royals Wise and Otherwise, I was really very surprised to find a woman becoming a chief. And I wondered if this was something uh, unusual. Actually, it is not common for women to become chieftains because traditionally the chieftains' roles are always given to the men in the community. But in this story, in the past, Layag was an exception that she was bestowed that Layag. Yeah, of course. And it's because she was an exception, right, that we still tell her story to this very day. One of the, the things that I think distinguishes our collections of uh, Asian folktales is that Feast always encourages our contributors, like yourself, to tell and share tips about you know how you would tell the story, but also perhaps to suggest ideas for follow-up discussion, whether this be for a parent or for a teacher in the classroom. And I particularly like what you have to say about this woman, Bayak Layag, and how she challenged the, the male order. That is why I really like using this story to explore um, gender roles of women and men among students, amongst girls and boys. So the teacher can ex explore gender and sex roles of men and women or girls and boys. Maybe what they can do is um, divide the class into girls and boys. The girls will make a list of the roles of men or boys and the boys will do the list for the roles of women or the roles of girls, something like that. Richard, I wish I had grown up in a classroom that discussed this story and that too with such detail. Your story is truly one of the gems of our book, Royals. Did you see what I did there, Roger? Gems, Royals. Talking about the book, we as the podcast producers wanted to explore what was so different about reading from a book, like a read aloud, or telling the story. So Roger, mm. imagine you found a lovely book, you love the story, now what are you going to do as a storyteller to bring that story alive? What I would suggest is to make yourself a storyboard. This is a very simple visual prompt of key moments in the story. You don't have to be a good artist, you can just draw stick figures. And with eight, ten pictures perhaps, you've got the, the key moments in the, the story. As you're telling the story to yourself as a way to practice, then your storyboard will be like a roadmap to guide you through the story. You know, take a sheet of A4 paper and divide it into, I don't know, eight, ten, twelve rectangles and proceed to draw a very simple picture in each one. You don't have to be an artist, you know, stick figures are perfectly fine. And to select the eight, nine, ten, whatever it is, key moments in the story, you can have this uh, as you are telling the story, or certainly the first couple of times, and have this piece of paper, and this storyboard will be like a safety net. 
if at any moment you kind of go, uh-oh, what comes next? You can just glance down and you will see there, oh, yes, I know. And for that reason, because you just want to be glancing, you don't want to be reading, I very rarely actually write anything on a storyboard unless it's a name. You know, if I was going to tell uh, Richard's stories, for example, I would want to write Bayak Layag on the, the piece of paper so that I would know her name. And I'd probably write it phonetically so that I would have some chance of trying to say it halfway correctly. And having the storyboard will take away that fear that you might forget at a crucial moment in the story, that you don't have to spend any emotional energy on worrying about what's next, and then you can go on and build on your storyboard. Shireen, what could you add to that? Hmm, so, Roger, I'll take the roadmap of stick figure pictures, about six to eight of them, and create a little bell graph of the story so I understand the ebb and flow, and in particular, which picture represents the climax. After that, I will go into the individual images and really try and commit to them. So basically, I'm moving away from the written words in the book and really describing what I see in the images and also the action and the dialogue, all of this in my own words. And after that, I'll just have a bumble through a few times. That's Good. What I and I guess as you're doing that, you're helping the audience to visualize the different pictures that you've created. I really like that. Absolutely. Well, uh, Ritupana. I love to mix the visual narrative with the textual narrative, which means that when I'm reading aloud a book, I try to match uh, my story by involving the pictures in the book. So if, I, if, there's, a, if there's an image or illustration of a boy who's uh, scared, uh, I'm going to read it uh, by saying something like, um, oh, look here, he's, he's whimpering and he's shaking in fright and he's saying, let me get out of here. Now, all of this may not be written in the, in the text, but I'm adding meaning to it. I'm interpreting the illustration and I'm building on to that scene. And that for me is a very important technique when I'm reading aloud from a book. And uh, that also gives cues to the reader uh, to also relearn to read picture books in a certain way. Yes, I love that. The idea of uh, adding not only the feelings, but also dialogue, isn't it? As storytellers, we love dialogue as a way to convey uh, characters and the way they're feeling. And Krupa, what would you like to chip in? So I agree with Shereen in terms of engaging with the story. I personally like the fact that without the book, without the aid of a book, I can engage the kids to become part of my story because I can ask them questions about the characters, I can ask them to name the character, and as I go along, I can build the story with the children and keep them and myself engaged. That's very important, keeping yourself engaged, isn't it? You have to be there in the moment of the story. And Meher, how about you? I really like to engage my audience through their vocal participation. And the two tools that I enjoy using are onomatopoeia and repetition. Onomatopoeia or sound words could be there in the book or the storyteller can create some of their own. So for example, there's this famous story we are going on a bear hunt where a family of five travels through various landscapes in search of a bear. It's like an outdoor adventure for them. So every time they are walking, I tell my audience to sing along. 
ancestry. Hey there, Kiran. Roger just gave you quite the continental, or should I say global introduction. And here at Feast, uh, you've been a part right from the start, supporting us no matter what continent, what country, what island you're living on. Sheila has often told me that you've built up your storytelling careers side by side, which kind of means you've had a lot of time to develop your repertoire, but more importantly, your own unique style, the, the Kiran style, which I know for a fact is very different from mine. I have a tendency to be really big, flailing my arms all over the place when I talk. Even now, Roger's looking at me and he's, I think in his mind, he's like, don't tip over the mic. Anyway, my question is really from the beginner storyteller point of view. Many uh, storytelling friends who are calmer and have just started out are a bit hesitant to join the performance storytelling world because they wonder whether they will fit in. Now, I know that your style is contained yet very powerful and impactful. So how does that work? Okay, I, I've never really diagnosed or thought that deeply about my style. I think for me, it's what's natural to me. And I don't move around a whole lot. I don't flail my arms around a whole lot. I like to think that for me, what works is the use of facial expressions and small gestures that suit the story that I'm telling. If you feel that you are the dramatic sort, you know, Absolutely. by all means, um, the thing is to feel comfortable in your own skin Absolutely. when you tell. I think that that's the thing. Excellent. Excellent. I received a couple of questions about the voice and particularly relating to warming up. And I wondered, Kieran, what do you do to warm up before you give a performance? For me, first is you need to release the tension and the tension is also in your body. So the first thing I do is do some, uh, you know, sh shaking of arms, legs, shoulders, hips. Uh, I move it around. And then all the parts of speech, you also need to release tension. So we're talking about your diaphragm, your, your breath is so important, the jaw, the tongue, the lips. So I do a lot of those exercises, uh, as I'm sure, you know, uh, all other experienced tellers do too. You yawn and release the jaw and make funny faces, basically. The other thing is also important to stay hydrated. Um, mm. And I've noticed that my voice suffers a bit in air-conditioned rooms. And that happened a lot in Singapore because a lot of places were air-conditioned. It doesn't happen to me now here in Australia. I don't even remember the last I was performing in an air-conditioned room. <laughs> uh, I, actually, I don't think I have. The other thing I also realized, if I'm going to be having a meal before the performance then I tend to eat lightly and I avoid spicy fried foods. And I've actually had the experience of another storyteller who had some fish curry before she went on to perform <laughs> and had a fishbone stuck and ended up having to go to the doctors instead of her class. Because that's not the story that you want to have to share, is it, about how you went to the doctors? Kieran, it's interesting that you spoke about both Australia and Singapore and the difference that you found. 
time. So mm -hmm. culturally, in different cultural settings, has your storytelling changed in any ways? Here in Australia, I find that if I'm telling a story uh, from my Indian heritage, then I may have to go a little bit more into detail uh, mm -hmm. about, you know, certain aspects, certain traditions that may not be so obvious to them. And mm -hmm. I feel also it's important because then I'm imparting a bit of knowledge, a bit of information yep. that makes it interesting. And one example I can think of not too long ago when I was explaining how arranged marriages worked in my family, and that was quite fascinating to a lot of people. For young children, sometimes you may have to explain a word. For example, in the story of the ghost with one black eye, there's a cellar. Oh. And that's how I explain, uh, you know, I have to explain what a cellar is. If you're a child living in a flat, um, there's no way you would know what a cellar is. I just love sharing cultural details to audiences. Great. Thank you very much. We could sit here and talk to you, with you much, much longer, Kieran, but uh, thank you very much for sharing what you have. And that brings us to the very last segment of our episode, The Fortune Cookie. Remember when Roger said there was a very unwise royal? <laughs> That's where we're going. And this is not any current political reference to a certain gentleman now living in America. Anyway. <laughs> uh, we do have with us Lavanya Prasad, who's been our member since the very beginning. Lavanya Prasad is an electrical engineer turned storyteller. Shout out to the engineers in storytelling. She believes in creating lasting connections through stories rather than electrical wires. Mm. Her storytelling association is the Tailscope. It was started in March 2014 and Tailscope has done multiple different kinds of programs full of music and movement. Roots, Kitchen Connections, Shades of Women, Bhaktas of Bharata Desa are all some of her signature events. If you'd like to reach out to Lavanya, you could always contact her at facebook.com slash tailscope. So, uh, Lavanya, I know that you're quite the visual storyteller. It is a treat to watch you perform. It's going to be interesting to see how you take up this challenge of a very auditory medium. Off you go, Lavanya. Fir. This is a folk tale from India. Very, very long time ago, way back, when our great great grandparents were possibly tiny little babies, a king ruled the snow clad regions of Himachal Pradesh in India. Pani Pina ho, ho Pani Pina ho, ho Raja Kami Luri Bai Asa Pani Pina ho. Roti kaniyo, roti kaniyo, teri sota roti ka taka asa roti kaniyo, oh ho ho, ah. Now this king 
was a very strong-willed person. For sometimes, the strangest thoughts came across his mind. And when they did, he made ridiculous rules. And the ones to suffer the most were the common people. All rule breakers were severely punished. Every man in this kingdom will shave one side of their heads, he would announce. Poor men. Well, the old men, I should say, didn't bother much. But the younger ones, they found it most embarrassing. But after much pondering, they gave in, thinking it was better to lose a part of their hair rather than their necks. <sighs> Such were the king's whims and fancies. Some days, the king simply sat in his balcony and reveled in his perceived intelligence. On one such fateful day, he had a brilliant thought. <laughs> I wish to listen to a never-ending story. He jumped up with a big grin spreading across his face. And the next day, there was an announcement. Our Maharaja wishes to listen to a never-ending story. The person who tells him that will be rewarded with a brick of gold equal to their body weight. But if you fail to impress the king, they will be thrown into the dungeons. Remember, the greedy ones in the kingdom wish to try their luck. But others wisely stayed away. Every single person who tried found it very hard to impress the king. For every time they started a story, the king would interrupt them with silly questions. Was the princess tall or short? What did you say was the giant's name? At what time did the sun rise? Huh? Now interrupted almost every single minute, anybody who came to narrate a story to the king gave up and stopped telling the story. They were immediately thrown into the dungeons. Now this became a source of amusement for the king. <laughs> These storytellers, I, they suffered trying to answer my ridiculous questions. <laughs> then one day, the soldiers brought to the king a little boy of about 10 years of age. He was dressed in shabby clothes, but there was something about his eyes. They were gleaming. And his face, it was lit up with a big, broad smile. Who are you? Maharaj, I'm, I want to tell you a never-ending story, Maharaj. What? You know the punishment if you fail to do so, right? Think twice, my boy. I'm ready, Maharaj. I'm ready, but I have only one condition. You can only say one word in between my story if you want to. And that too, only when I pause. And that word would be fir, meaning then. But Maharaj, if you happen to say anything else, then I will stop telling the story and the reason will be you. Aroused by the curiosity to listen to a never-ending story and intrigued by this condition, the king agreed. There was once a king who ruled a great kingdom with fertile lands and lush 
ग्रीन फॉरेस्ट द बॉय पॉस्ट फिर वन ईयर देर वॉज अ बंपर क्रॉप हार्वेस्ट इन द किंगडम फिर the king decided to store the excess grains for the use in future fir so he ordered his soldiers to build a huge warehouse to store all the excess grains fir the soldiers immediately carried out the orders now at this point the king wanted to interrupt and say of course they would who will dare to disobey a king but he remembered the condition and simply said fir it was a huge tall warehouse with four high walls it had a roof a door and no windows the whole room was stocked with golden grains of wheat you know but the soldiers forgot to seal a tiny little hole in the side of the tall building the boy passed fir one day a bird that was flying past the building found the hole peeked into it saw the golden grains of wheat and thought ha what a feast fir he took one grain in his beak and went flying fir fir seeing this bird another bird came fir he took one grain in his beak and went fir fir another bird came fir fir yet another bird came fir 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 this went on for 3 days and 3 nights for there were so many grains in the warehouse and sometimes the same birds came back for more grains the little boy patiently said fir every time the king said fir finally after one fir the king shouted i have had enough stop it i accept defeat now take this brick of gold and off you go and from then on the king they say was so humbled by the intelligent little boy indeed he was cured of all his whims and fancies well i hope none of you have found yourself in that situation where you've wanted to say to us stop stop no more thank you very much lavania for that story which if you haven't worked out already does come from royals wise and otherwise which is published by feast now it's at the moment it's only in hard copy and it's a glorious big gorgeous colorful book with wonderful illustrations by a famous indian artist uma krishna swami but i'm glad to say that we are now working very hard on producing an ebook version of royals wise and otherwise and if you would like to get a copy if you're interested in having your own copy because there are a lot of really excellent stories in it then please drop us a mail at feaststory@gmail.com 
and as soon as it's ready, we'll let you know so that you can get your own copy at a very special price. Well, that brings us to the end of this edition of The Story Walk. Roger and I, as directors of Feast, also encourage you to go on to the Feast website, which is www.feaststory.org, to check out our latest webinars. This month we have Giovanna Conforto giving us a webinar on personal storytelling. We also have many recordings from the past. And this month we have a special offer, a bundle of 10 webinars at a very, very discounted price. And we encourage you to check it out. Do support our YouTube channel, the Federation of Asian Storytellers. And at our upcoming festival, we hope that all you listeners will come support us. Thank you for being with us. And it's goodbye from me, Roger Jenkins, and... Ungal Abhimana Kripa Vinayagamurthy. Yours truly.